Our guest today is Vern Davenport, partner at QHP Capital, which is a client of 51 Labs. And I've been waiting a while to do this one because there's going to be a lot of meaty topics in this. So who should listen to this episode? If you are an executive or a founder of a healthcare services tech-enabled uh, company, or if you're the founder of any type of business, regardless of the size, this is going to be an episode for you because it's going to give you some thoughts on the tools and tactics and strategies on the operating system for your business. I'm also interested on how we can implement it to our nonprofit, 51 Vets, that helps out transitioning veterans. So let's dive right into this. Vern, thanks a lot for coming on and doing this. Love to hear a little bit about QHP and your background. Uh, Jordan, thanks for the opportunity. QHP is a uh, uh, healthcare private equity firm. We focus on companies that are at a growth inflection point, primarily around life sciences, services, and technologies. We're a control investor, so we're very interested in partnering with management teams, aligning on strategy, and fundamentally, we take uh, execution risk. We started in 2017. We're located in Raleigh, North Carolina, and raised a $275 million fund one, which is fully invested, and a $500 million fund two uh, last year that we're about halfway through and starting uh, hopefully uh, soon our fund three. So it's been a, a really fun ride for the my partners. I have three of them here that started the business and uh, we've been very fortunate, very blessed with, uh, with our success so far. Uh, me personally, uh, after MBA school, I had the pleasure of going to work for IBM and what was certainly the glory days of IBM back in the three-piece suit days. Kind of declared myself to be a healthcare guy. And after 11 years, I left and went to work for a healthcare company that was founded by three IBMers called Shared Medical Systems that sold financial and administrative applications to big hospital systems. That company was acquired by Siemens, which gave me a great opportunity to lead an integration here in the U.S. of Shared Medical and Siemens Medical and spent four years post that as one of the executives running it and then had an opportunity to go to New York and uh turn around the Kodak health business for which we took private. So I spent uh, three years up in Rochester. All of that led me to my first true CEO opportunity, which was back here in Raleigh for a company called Mises Healthcare that we merged with Allscripts. And subsequent to that merger, I had an opportunity to work for Quintiles as a consultant to the chairman on a global strategy effort. I became chairman and CEO of a, a public company called uh, MedQuest that I rebranded in Modal and took private and helped uh, a founder here in town who had sold his business to Intuit buy the company back and spent a, a couple of years as CEO and a board member at a company called MedFusion before coming to QHP. And all of that is a foundation to say I didn't come from the private equity side of the desk here at the QHP. I came from the operations side of the desk here at QHP, but I'm not an operating partner in the true sense of private equity and, and operating uh, executives in private equity. I am, I'm a partner and that was important to me and important to the strategy of our firm because again, we're very operationally engaged and we focus on taking execution risks. So having an ability to set at the early stages of uh, company selection and due diligence processes and contract negotiations, and then understanding what we're trying to operationalize, I think has been a, a big uh, element of our success so far. Great. And so let's shift over to the management system. Um, okay. You know, I've been exposed to operating system or management systems like EOS, and we've tried to implement that at our firm. You know, I'm curious just because 
we're five years into this and you go through your ups and your downs and you're always trying to break through to the next level and how do Jing and I, our co-CEO, find that right mixture of not just working on the bit or in the business, like we're doing the videos with you. We love doing that. But like at the end of the day, we want to not be five people. We want to be 25 to 50 yeah. and we want to work on the business, not just in the business. So we're at like this, you know, it's like, you're just trying to get through that ceiling to the next level. So can you, can you share just what is the management system from a high level and why is it needed? You've described the fundamental trap of every executive, right? And it doesn't matter if they're in a startup or they're in a growth company, if they're in a mature company, you're, you're always trapped between how do you stay on top of a business and then do the work of the business and, and maybe just a, a moment of how we got to the man or how I got to the management system. You know, the, back to my background, I spent my first 20 some years working for very process oriented, very metric driven companies. These were very mature companies that were very refined in how they ran their businesses. And I got to grow up uh, as an executive in those businesses. So very steeped in process and, and quality and metrics management and people management, all those types of things. And I come into my first CEO opportunity at Mises Healthcare. And uh, you know, within 30 days, I walked back into my office. There's 11 or 12 binders on my conference table. And I asked my assistant what those were. And she said, those are your monthly board books. Well, what are my monthly board books? Well, they're the report outs of each of the business units here in the company. And one was 75 pages of a narrative. One was a bunch of spreadsheets. One was a PowerPoint. It was like, there was no way I could consume, anybody could consume these things and be able to operationalize the business in the moment. And, and candidly, that's the world that we live in. You, you can't, you, these things, you know, the companies have to be run on a daily basis. And you got to stay in tune with opportunities and challenges in the business. And you got to be able to react to it. And you have to be able to re react to it across the totality of the company. So that reality forced me to take all of what I've learned in my formative years but transition that into something that I could use as a CEO. So I and my management team could look at a situation and understand what the issue is, what to do about it, and be able to go allocate the resources, therefore, immediately to go do the right work. So you can't do everything, right? That's the fundamental issue. You always are going to have more opportunity than you have resources to pursue. So the challenge is how do you align your team to go focus the right talent on the right problems or right opportunities at the right moment so that you can make progress against those and ensure alignment and consistency. So that was the objective. And for me, it's, it's very simple. So maybe just go through the, the elements of what is a management system. And for us at QHP, it's, it's kind of, it's easy because we're looking at investing in growth companies. So we align on strategy. So we both believe in the opportunity um, the company needs capital, but they also need operational prowess to capitalize on the opportunity. So we have a where the company is and where the company wants to go, and we're aligned with the management team to get that done. I call it the from to. What we then have to do is how do we understand how to get the work done? So here's how the management system kind of fits. We take that strategy of the hockey stick of revenue and EBITDA that we bought and we've been sold, and we turn that into annual objectives. And we call that True North. True North is the revenue and the EBITDA that we're expecting to produce to meet our growth obligations or, or our business plan. So True North is the only thing in the management system that doesn't change. So then the next thing that we do is we go, well, how does the company do its work? And that sounds pretty simple, but it's actually 
a pretty challenging concept to kind of get through the totality of a company. So what is the first thing that happens in a company? And then what has to happen after that? And then what happens after that? And it falls into three major buckets of work. The functions that enable the business, the functions that execute the business, and the functions that support the business. So enablement functions are things like strategy and product management and product development and corporate marketing. Those are the things, the the functions that plan the work that needs to be done against the opportunity that we have. And then there are the functions that execute that, marketing, sales, implementation, support, the customer-facing, client-facing, market-facing set of activities, which are very operational in their work. You want to be very productive with the talent that you allocate there and the results that they produce. But again, tied to the plans and the work of the enablement functions. And then you have supporting functions that support all of that work, financial functions, IT functions, HR functions, et cetera, that support all of that. But we first have to understand as a company, how do we get our work done? And we do that in the management system in a linear basis, starting left to right with the functions that enable the business and the functions that execute the business. The most important thing that we do in the management system is what happens next is based upon how we get our work done, what work gets done in each of those functions, which means it doesn't get done some other place. You know, typically what we find is companies have a lot of people who wear a number of hats, right? They're wherever the work needs to be done at the moment, something needs to be done. And they may be good at it and they may not be good at it, but that kind of sub-optimizes their impact on the business. And it certainly doesn't bring up the skill set of the entirety of the business. So we take every function and define the role, define the work, what inputs are required to get that work done? What outputs are we expecting to come out of that work? And most importantly, what decisions can that function make unilaterally? What decision rights do they have? And we get everyone at the senior management team level to agree that that work's done there. That's the right inputs. Those are the right outputs or expectations of that work. Those are the right decision rights that belong there. And we do that for every function that the company describes when they uh, describe how they get their work done. Defining the roles and responsibilities and getting that clarity is really important because now you got to allocate your resources against those functions, mm-hmm. right? So you want to get away from people wearing multiple hats because they're the, you know, they're the hero in the company that always comes into the critical situation, whatever. You want to be able to take your best resources and put them in the place where they can make their biggest impact. The next thing is how do you track that? And, I wasn't going to go back to binders. I wanted to sit in the back of the room as a CEO and be able to look at the front of the room and go, man, that function is really performing. Or we got some challenges in that function. So for me, I wanted us to get to what are the most important metrics for each of the functions. And the way that we did this in the early stages of the management system, and it lives today, is through something that we call a tracking sheet. And that tracking sheet has the 10 most important metrics the metrics are objective, not subjective. They're a number. The 10 most important metrics for that function to perform to make the true north number in this fiscal year. So it provides that connectivity to work, to what needs to be done, the right things that needs to be done from that function for us to have that function perform its work necessary to make the true north number. And those metrics in a perfect world are a combination of financial operational, customer sat, 
and employee SAT metrics if we can if we can develop all of those. But it's 10 or less. It's not 11. It's not 15. I know marketing wants to chase 350 metrics. I know finance feels like there's 25 things that are important. But when it comes to operationalizing True North, limiting yourself to the 10 most important and delivering on those, and if you are successful in delivering on those, you have no other outcome than to be able to blow through your revenue and EBITDA uh, objectives for the year. So that's kind of the framework of the management system, but there's two other components to it that are very important. If you have employees and you've got customers, things are not going to go according to plan. Mm -hmm. If you go back to 2020 and you planned your year in 2019 of what you're going to do in 2020, nobody expected COVID to hit. And there were companies that were victimized by COVID because they couldn't respond. And there were companies that took advantage of COVID because they could. So the question is, what framework are you going to base the modifications that need to be made in your operations if things don't go according to your plan? And they're not. They never do. So you want to see from a metric standpoint how you're doing against that plan. And then if things aren't going according to plan, you need to have a common language for which you remediate those issues. We call that an A3. It's a single piece of paper. It's got the metric. It's got the gap. It's got the background. It's got the root cause on the left-hand side. It's got the action plan on the right-hand side. And it provides a framework so that everybody can very quickly engage in a discussion on how to get a most important metric back to plan. No 75-page PowerPoint. No flipping through a 75-page narrative. One piece of paper. Sounds easy to do. Requires a lot of thought and effort. But it provides for a very productive and efficient and effective way to engage all the expertise and experience of a management team looking at a challenge that the company has or an opportunity that the company has and be able to put the best plan in place to discuss it. And then the last piece is coming together monthly as a senior management team to review all the tracking sheets end to end and deal with the most important metrics that aren't going according to plan through that A3 discussion. What's important about what I call a monthly operating committee meeting is in an hour or two, that senior management team can sit down and go through 10 to 15 functional tracking sheets, which means you're going through 100 to 150 most important metrics, and you're able to see end-to-end how your company is performing and what's going well and what's not going well. It allows for everybody on that management team to understand the dynamics in the business and learn about where the levers are in the business. And it also creates something I think is very important. It creates transparency. So there's no parochialism or politics in a company that's trying to transform and to grow. You want to know what the facts are in a very transparent, professional way. So coming to these operating committee meetings, sitting there and listening to strategy and product management and marketing and sales and implementation support and finance and HR, et cetera, to report on their metrics, all directed toward achieving true north, allows for this tremendous understanding of that management team of how the company works and how to address challenges and how to deal with, with opportunities. So on the surface, it sounds really simple. I've got a true north objective, revenue and EBITDA. We define our work, we clarify roles and responsibilities, we put some simple, uh, most important metrics in place, common format to deal with things that are not going according to plan. We meet once a month, there's no other meetings required during the month, let's go focus on this one meeting and in a day, 
everybody knows where the company is and where the company isn't. And for us, from a private equity standpoint, we take the company offsite for a week. Big investment. Right after we make the investment in the company, we ask the senior management team, somewhere between 10 and 20 executives, to go offsite for an entire week in an offsite session where we implement this management system. I think our secret sauce is enabling companies to take that time to focus on how they define their work and clarify their roles and responsibilities and identify their metrics and provide that framework to them and operationalize that framework. Then on the other side of that, they're flying, right? All they got to do is allocate their resources to how they've aligned their work, figure out where the resources gaps are, prioritize that hiring, and they're off and running. We're not taking two years to figure out where the levers are in the business. We know where that is after this offsite. And the company knows how to get its work done after the offsite. And for us, it's taking that time and that team investing the time. It's a very grueling five days, but it truly is a catalyst to an accelerated transformation for the company. And I've uh, seen the first two, two days of that. <laughs> I can attest. <laughs> yes, you <have. laughs> um, Well, let's, let's rewind. And where do companies start? Like, where can we start? We've been going for, this is our fifth year, like on this True North, how do we define what True North is and what True North isn't? And how do you incorporate mission into this? Because, you know, we're at that stage where like, are we just making LinkedIn posts and videos and digital marketing for a firm to make another billion dollars? Like, okay, is that what we want to do with our life? We know that there's a deeper mission here, but I, I, we're trying to establish what that is. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've started doing that as well with our companies because culture is so important right now because, you know, the acquisition of talent is so challenging and the retention of talent is challenging. So there's, there's some additional dimensions that I think are very important to this process. Again, we start with a from to. So the company's here today, right? Here, here's what we are today. And we, get, we force them to go through a SWOT analysis. So anal analyze the company today collectively as to what you think the strengths and the weaknesses and the opportunities and threats of this company are today. And let's go put those on a board. So we actually do that when we do our offsites. I think it's really important. But that from two basically creates this vision. We're here today. We've got this capabilities and we've got these strengths and we've got these weaknesses, et cetera, et cetera. But we want to be here in some point in time in the future, right? And we should list what those things are that we want to be. So what, do you, what does your company aspire to be? That could be mission-driven aspirations. It could be financially driven aspirations. It could be whatever they are, right? But what you want to do is you want to operationalize those, not just to document them. You want to operationalize them. So having that from to chart documented kind of sets the parameters of we're here today and in five years we want to be here. And if you're a ten million dollar company and want to be a hundred million dollar company, that's great. So define it however you want to. But so depending where, where, on the dimensionality of that depends on what efforts and plans, et cetera, need to be put in place to achieve that. So I guess to kind of summarize where we're at today is you know approaching a million dollars in revenue, we're really focused historically on videos all types of videos for private equity, private credit, investment banking, et cetera, LinkedIn and broader digital marketing. You know, the we've done 55 projects of which 50 have been within the M&A community. 
and the others within venture and hedge funds. So our customer base really don't understand it, going deeper in the port codes where you really understand it. Um, but I think the where we are going is to become a full service from branding websites, uh, including LinkedIn video, and then PR. Like the, the goal is to be the one-stop shop because right now it's such a fragmented industry. So there's a big opportunity. So how do we get from where we're at to yeah. where we're going? <laughs> so so the way you just described that, and let me compare and contrast two options for you. If you said we want to go from a million dollar revenue business to a $10 million revenue business, and we want to stay in the same markets and capabilities, what you really got to focus on there is your execution part of your organization, right? Because you need to do more of what you're currently doing to get more share and to grow your revenue, right? That's what you're describing there. What you described was something different. We want to broaden our capabilities, capitalize on what we do, but also broaden our capabilities, which means you need more early stage focus on the enablement part of your business to build that capability, get some early customers to then go focus on your execution organization, right? So this, this all goes back to, great, define that destination in the future where 51 Labs wants to have six other lines of business or six other offerings to add to this repertoire to be a full service. Well, then your operational plans have got to be how do I build that capability? What expertise do I need? What technology do I need to invest in? What do I need to do to build that? Do I need to go partner with someone? Do I need to acquire somebody uh, to build that capability? And then as you build the capability, you start to transition into those activities of how do I condition the market? And then how do I uh, build the execution organization that can capitalize on delivering those solutions, selling those solutions and delivering those solutions into the market? And this is what I, this is the point about operationalizing the plan, right? You can't do everything. So on your journey from your current product and service offerings today to one that's more full service, how do you prioritize that work along a three-year journey or a five-year journey to hit that, that objective that you have set? So now you come back to, well, what's the work of the company? And who's going to do the work of building out those product offerings? Well, it's not going to be, you know, right now you, you got a limited company size relative to employees, but there's got to be some objectives that are set to build that capability along a three or five-year journey to build out those, those capabilities. But it starts with a vision or from two. Secondarily, you've got to have a financial objective for the year in revenue and profitability, or you're not going to be able to fund any of those things. So you've got to have that as you've got to deliver revenue and profitability for the viability of the, of the business and the investment capability that you want to build new functional capability into the business. And then you've got to have some objectives in the functions of how you do your work, they're going to accomplish getting some of that capability built and testing it into the marketplace and getting traction. And what you may find is you don't get that right at the beginning, so you have to continue to adjust. It may be that somebody got the market before you did and you got to completely uh, divert off the sun. Or you might find that, holy smokes, we're killing it and we need to put more fuel on that fire. Yeah. All of those require adjustments into what the priority of the work is next month versus the next month versus the next month. And I find those companies that understand the dynamics of their business and can fundamentally rapidly adjust and align their resources to get that work done are the ones that truly transform. 
So let's dive into this true north concept. What is true north? How do we dive deep into this? So yeah, we can so, see so, where we are going. Well, and I think it's fairly easy for our companies and also for you. I mean, it really is. What revenue and profitability objectives are we going to uh, direct ourselves to achieve next year? Let's just make it simple for, for you. Let's say we're going to double the size of our business. Right. True North is now $2 million in revenue. And let's you know, call it EBITDA number. It doesn't matter. But we're going to operate at some level of profitability. Well, every decision that you make now is going to be predicated on what's the plan to achieve that $2 million in revenue and that profitability level. Well, to make the $2 million in revenue, you probably got to make some investments. Those investments may be in people. Those investments may be in technology or capability, there's a business might be in a partnership or an acquisition, but you got to decide which of those you're going to operationalize. And then you have to go put plans in place to go get that done this year. The two million just can't sit out there as an objective and you don't do any work towards it. Well, what work needs to be done to achieve the two million? And you got to operationalize that plan, which isn't going to go perfectly according to the plans you put in place now for next year. So you got to be able to adjust along that journey to achieve that $2 million. And you're also going to perform that in a manner for which you're controlling your cost and your investments to achieve your profitability objective too. It could be 40% gross margin. It could be cash flow break even. doesn't matter. Whatever it is, you're operationalizing all your activities around how do we double our revenue size and operationalize the business at a, a target profitability level. So you're going to put those, you're going to describe the work, you're going to put those metrics in place. And every month you're going to come in and uh, evaluate through the tracking sheets. Are you performing according to plan or are you not? And if you're not, understanding truly why you're not so that you can make those adjustments. But you probably could sit here today and go, if we're going to double the business next year, there's six or seven significant things that need to happen. I don't know what those are, but those need to be operationalized in your management system so that they get done in the right sequence with the right capacity to invest or to manage or to operationalize those activities so that they all lead to the exceeding of your true north revenue objective and within the context of the uh, profitability expectations of the business per your plan. So this is, it's interesting because if I understand, True North is not a wishy-washy. This is a clear financial objective. And this is not, um, our goal is to be the number one video provider to private equity by the end of 2024. And what that means is that we have done 50 videos, 50 brand videos. Because that's, is that a secondary objective or like? Yeah, you got, you got a mission, vision, and set of values that you're establishing. And what you're doing now is you're describing the vision of the company. We want to be the number one, right? So you're going to define what that looks like and what that means. Yeah. But at the end of the day, those are words. And you may or may not make those. But what you absolutely have to make as a company is the financial objectives that are required to get you there, right? Because if you don't do that, doesn't matter what the words say. You got to do it within some expectation of revenue generation and profitability generation so that you can make the necessary investments yeah. to grow. So True North is that annual revenue and profitability objective. For us, it's really easy because again, we're in private equity, 
we're looking at opportunities. They're articulating their growth opportunity and their five-year plans and their revenue growth and their EBITDA growth. So we buy and invest into that. Well, they sold it to us. We invested behind it. Well, that management case is our true north. The revenue you said you're going to do next year and the EBITDA that you said you were going to do next year that we believe that you can do, that becomes our true north. That yeah. does not change. And lastly, I probably didn't mention this. Everybody on the senior management team that is paid a variable comp element of their total compensation gets paid on that true north number, not individual metrics or team metrics. They get paid on true north. And the reason why that's important is because we don't want any parochialism in decision making. We want everybody to come to the room and go, for us all to get paid our variable comp, we have to make true north. Where's the best allocation of our resources? What's the best uh, decisions that we can make as a company to achieve our true north objective and not be biased or parochial about, well, as long as you don't take headcount from me, well, heck, if the right thing to do is take all my headcount and allocate it over here, that makes all the sense in the world. Go do it. Yeah. Right. So that we're on our path to true north. And that true north really locks the intensity onto the functions to execute their prioritized metrics, because those prioritized metrics are the ones that we decided were important, had to be made to make that true north number. And that's how it all kind of fits together. So true north does not change. If we lock that at the beginning of the year, it's locked. You perform well against it, fantastic. You overperform, fantastic. If you underperform, well, we're going to, you know, we'll, we'll figure out what the reasons why are, and we'll go deal with that. Where have you found that management teams get tripped up in creating a true north, in creating that strategy and vision? I, I don't think they really get tripped up on creating it. You know, in some cases, they may be naive or overambitious as to what they think they can achieve, right? And we work with them to get that properly moderated so that we're, we're both in agreement as to where we should go. We don't want some out of sync condition, right? We want to be in agreement as to where we should go. So I do think there needs to be a, a reality check. And that reality check will kind of come when you start trying to operationalize the plans, right? If you said, hey, I want to be a $50 million company next year, we're going to go from one to 50. Well, now the question is, how are you going to do that? And um, if you don't have very you know, defined and believable operational plans to do it, then you got to check the reasonableness of that objective. What you don't want to do is you don't want to hold, you don't want your company not believing in what is achievable. You want them believing in not only what's achievable, but what can be achieved beyond what we currently have in our plans and build that momentum of growth. So you want to have some, you know, a, a clear connection to believability in those plans as well. Uh, doubling a company is not unheard of, particularly for companies that are early stage or growth oriented, right? You're not going to double IBM year after year after year, right? But there are other companies that have the opportunity to grow or even more so. And it's just a matter of setting a set of objectives that are believable, that allow you to operationalize the activities to deliver on your vision. You got to connect everybody in the company to that vision, right? Everybody's got to have passion for what they do. And that passion comes from the industry that they work in, the vision of the company and the culture uh, of the team and, and, and their colleagues that they're working with to achieve that. Because everybody's got options today as to where they can 
they can perform their professional work. What's the difference between mission and vision? It's a great question. Uh, and we everybody gets all tripped up on that. But in my view, vision is a, a point in the future of where you want to be. So that could be 25 years down the road, 100 years down the road, or next year, right? It is a point in the future of what you want the company to be. Mission is kind of how, you know, how, how are we going to do that work, right? So w- what's going to connect all of us here to aspire to be that company or to be at that level of performance or make that level of impact as you articulate your vision? So the vision is a point in time and the mission is is kind of a representation of how the company's going to do it. And then we always work on values. I think those are critically important. Not only do we we uh, ask companies to uh, list those, determine what those are going to be, but then we force them to document the behaviors that would exhibit them. Um, so it can be more poignant and more easily understood. And we ask them to evaluate individual performance on an annual basis when we do performance reviews based upon the performance of a person, individual against their work, but also against how they fit culturally into the company, their behaviors. You know, if you've got someone who gets knocks out of the park from a performance standpoint, but is an absolute cancer to the culture, they are probably more damaging than someone who fits in the company really well, but can't execute their work. But both of those are people that are not going to be successful in the organization and need to find another place to to be successful. So shifting over to the second major component with roles and responsibilities, once we know kind of what our true north is, how do you start to break down? And this is kind of also coming through the perspective of we have a four-person full-time company. I mean, where do we start to really outline this? Yeah, and and again, for companies that we work with, and we'll see if it applies to a company like yours, but we go back to what I call the functional construct. How is the work of this company done? And let's just sit back and break it down very simplistically across, you know, you've, somebody's got to articulate a strategy. The first thing that has to happen is, what's the strategy, right? If you're going to be a full-service company, then that becomes the strategy. But if you decide you want to get into the daycare business, that's a strategy too. But those are completely different, right? As a, as a, uh, the work that has to be done to execute against either of those. But it starts with the strategy. Now, we're not talking people. We're just talking about work activities, right? Things that have to get done. A strategy has to be defined. Once the strategy is defined, then the um, what I call solutions management. Some people call it product management. It really depends on the company. But how do you take that strategy and then build the business plan to execute against it, right? So if you're going to, in your example, build five more uh, capabilities for the company to be full service, well, what are those capabilities going to include? Uh, are they going to be premium priced or are they going to be economically priced? Are they going to be integrated with one another or are they going to be separate offerings? Are we going to partner to get it done or is it important for us to build it organically? Well, someone's got to build all of those, make all those decisions and build that plan as a second activity. And once we build that plan, then the market's got to get conditioned for it. So your website's got to come up and capabilities got to be described and maybe you need a pilot customer and you know, and you got to start readying the market. 
And once you get all that done, you move to the execution functions, which are, I got to sell it to somebody so then I can deliver it according to the expectations of the contract and support it. And along that way, we may have to hire people. Therefore, we got a dependency on HR. Finance has got to make sure we're managing our cash and make sure we got the money there to make the investments that we need to make. I got to have IT infrastructures supporting the business along that way, et cetera, et cetera, right? So we got to define the work. And it doesn't matter who does that work. What matters is the work is clearly defined. And then there is someone who owns that work. So it's not unheard of, particularly for companies that we invest in, that once we define the functions, that there is a single executive who actually has responsibility for one or more of those functions early on. And then as the company grows, it hires talent to come in to specifically manage that function. It's, it's very typical that the enablement functions in an early stage company are managed by the founder or the CEO. They're going to do all that. They're doing all that today. But what we're going to do is we're going to start to separate them from the daily activities of sales and implementation, all that sort of stuff, because maybe we do have people who now can own that and they have clarity as to what their specific tasks are. It's, it's not uncommon for people to have multiple hats. But what you can't do is have those people be like Charlie Brown uh, football game where they're all running in a cloud going this way or running in the cloud going that way. And, you know, the strategy for this month, the student body right, and the strategy for next month, the student body left. You, nothing ever gets done there, but you work yourself to death along that journey. It's got to be very intentional. So, well, we're, we're intentional. You're going to do that. I'm going to do this. And at the end of the month, we're going to come back and make sure that we got both those things done. We've made progress. We've put points on the board and, and we're can, continuing to step that ladder up to achieve our true north objectives. But you got to be clear as to strategy, your business plan, how you're going to execute it, manage to see if you can execute according to that plan, make adjustments along that way and be very intentional about it. I think that word intentional is probably one of the biggest words, most important words to describe the management system is that everyone has intentionality about the work they're doing. It's not happenstance. It's not reaction. There's intentionality across the totality of the organization of what we're doing today, this week, this month on our journey to True North and ultimately to deliver on our vision. So, so I think on the point of strategy, I know we and maybe some of the companies that you are working with and investing in um, might have a, a question of like identifying what we're best at and identifying like, here's a good example. Our video services, highest price, highest margin, big impact. We love doing it. Huge opportunity. Our LinkedIn services around profiles, writing posts, we love doing it, much less margin. But then there's the question of like, oh, well, that's also stickiness with the customer. So like, how do you make this trade-off decision, especially when you're an early stage company, to really say like focusing on, okay, yes, it's lower margin, but it is sticky or no, like just focus on one service, big opportunity. And then two years later, three years later, when you're, you know, 25% market share in private equity videos or whatever that is, then you expand. Like, like yeah. how, how have maybe the companies you've worked with kind of gone through that tough decision of what services do we provide today versus tomorrow? Yeah. The, hard, the hardest thing to do is to stop doing something that you do today, no matter how good or bad it is, right? You, you tend, it is really hard to kill a product or kill an offering or exit a market 
or any of that kind of stuff. It's the toughest thing for any company to do. For some reason, we all get emotionally attached to that capability. But I think in this case, and in, in your example, the way I would encourage you to look at it is I would start at the vision that you want to be five years from now or however you've articulated it and start looking backwards as to what is going to be required to achieve that vision. And how do the LinkedIn offerings versus the video offerings, how do they relate? And then what's their criticality to us achieving that vision? Is the stickiness important for us to achieve that vision, though the margin is low? But the stickiness of, of having clients and connectivity and, and whatever the case may be, that is managing that at a loss or a break even or a low margin if it's strategically important, is fine. But knowing that is low margin allows you to ensure that the other products and services that you're delivering have to perform at a higher margin than your corporate target margin. But I think you got to look at it with the end in mind and work your way backwards to today to say, it's important or it's not important. It's going to continue to get in our way and distract us, or it's critically important to customer retention and and stickiness, and basically make a decision. So you make a decision that's intentional based upon a set of criteria, whatever the case may be, and you discuss it and everybody agrees. You may find out in six months or a year that it doesn't matter at all. So what you thought were a set of, a set of assumptions that you made that decision on become invalidated over time. That's fine. That, you know, that happens all the time. But you made it based upon a defined set of criteria. And if it turns out those criteria are not real or they don't, they don't uh, evolve over that period of time, now you know that it didn't and you can make a different decision a year from now to cut it because it, it didn't turn out the way that you thought it was going to be. But at least you know why you continue to invest in it or you continue to support it. And then you can evaluate your performance against those criteria. To me, that's what's important because we we make mistakes every single day, right? That's that's the nature of this thing. It's kind of managing your mistakes and capitalizing as best you can on your opportunities. But you got to know it in a nanosecond. And when you make a mistake, understanding it's a mistake early so you can adjust, that's yeah. what's important, yeah. right? What are some of the either early, mid, or late, just kind of throughout the years, is there any particular mistakes that really actually turn out to be formative of like, wow, that it was painful at the time, but that made me into what I am today. Uh, well, there's maybe you're asking this in two, two different dimensions. In, inside the management system, I would say the mistake that typically gets made is we hang on to people longer than we should that aren't going to be successful in this type of system. This is a very transparent system. It's a very fact-based system. It's, it's a system for which you've got tremendous dependencies and accountabilities across functions and therefore across people. And you need people aligned and connected and collegial and they fit culturally and they've got a common uh, passion for the business, et cetera. Um, and when I've made mistakes as a CEO implementing the management system, I've held on to people that I knew that were not going to be successful in, in the system and in the company because they'd either been in the company a long time or they had tremendous understanding of the, of the market, but they couldn't execute. And, and, you hang, you hang on to them and you do them a disservice as a result. So I, I would say within the, the management system, when I've implemented it four or five to six times as a CEO, um, the biggest mistake I've made is 
And it's really been a disservice to the individual, not a disservice in addition to a disservice to the company, but biggest disservice to the individuals. They're just not going to be successful in that kind of management system and that kind of culture and and uh, uh, and being able to find talent that can be successful accelerates your transformation and the achievement of your goals. And and for me personally, I would say the professional mistakes that I've made is um, not trusting myself enough and therefore being more tolerant of business strategy or uh, operational strategy when I knew or, 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 or felt that that was wrong. Um, and, uh, uh, and my instincts have proven out to be right, but my behaviors didn't, weren't aggressive enough to prevent it or, or, or uh, uh, accelerated a change. So my, my biggest professional disappointments is when I didn't trust myself enough to stand, stand up for a, a point or perspective or strategy or, you know, an item um, that, you know, I was very passionate about and felt strongly about, but, uh, but I was more tolerant of given the circumstances. And there's been a couple of those. Yeah. Well, shifting gears completely for people <laughs> who are early in their career, like yeah. uh, our wonderful colleague, Grace, um, you know, people who are earlier in their career, what advice do you have for those who are maybe in their early twenties or throughout their twenties about like, what does success look like at the twenties? What should people early in the careers focus on and not focus on? Yeah, I, I give the same advice to everybody. Um, uh, and I believe it to be true. And, and it's in this order. To make a career decision, I think you have to make it in uh, with these criteria and in this sequence. I think you first have to have a passion for the business, right? you got to have a passion for it. I've had a passion for healthcare, not on the clinical side, but on the technology and services side. This the industry that I just had an affinity to from the early days of my career and probably the best decision I made was to orient to myself to, to work in, in that industry. But you got to have a passion for it. And the reason why is because you're going to have good days and bad days. Uh, you just are, right? Just Things just don't go perfectly. And having a passion for the business, something bigger than yourself and, and bigger than the work that you're doing, I think is an, an important, very important first step. And when folks haven't followed that and went to work someplace that they didn't have a passion and never worked out. Secondly, you got to make a contribution at the gate. The, the days of me leaving MBA school and spending a year in IBM training before I did the first lick of work, those days are over. So you got to bring something to the table early and at the gate where you're making a contribution. You, you immediately are making an impact on the team or on the business or, or whatever the case may be. The third thing is culture. Uh, you got to fit culturally and the company's got to fit you culturally. Um, and if it doesn't, it's going to reject you or you're going to reject it. And uh, uh, culture is really, really, really important today. And and for us, our companies focus very intently on culture and they invest behind it. It is an investment. Uh, it's not a, it's not something they talk about. It's something they do. So I think the third thing is culture. Fourthly is you got to learn something. You got to develop. It's not going to be your. This is not going to be your last job. But careers today are going to be filled with different companies and different opportunities, et cetera. But so you've got to take the opportunity that you're in and have a ability to grow and enhance your resume and develop your skill set and 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 develop professionally and personally. You know that's the fourth criteria. And the fifth is compensation, and they are in that order: passion, contribution, 
culture, uh, growth, and then compensation. And I think anybody who follows those steps as they try to make a career decision, you know, if you make it on compensation, you're going to be disappointed. If you make it on passion and you're able to make a contribution and you fit culturally and you're developing and growing and you're learning something, you'll make plenty of money, right? You'll make, and whatever money you make, you'll be happy with because all the other things are so satisfying to how you're spending your time professionally. I've heard someone give a framework of learn, earn, return in that order yeah. in career. Yeah. Um, well, this is fantastic. I, I love this. And, you know, it's not, not only applicable to more mature businesses and when at, you know, with 10 million plus in revenue, but also down to our size, you know, approaching the first million of revenue, um, but also nonprofits, you know, <clears throat> my co-CEO, co-founder and wife, Jing, we've applied it <laughs> to our family of like realizing like we didn't have roles and responsibilities and it was too much on her shoulders and not enough on sharing that. And that creates stress in a business, stress in a family. Um, and so it's, you know, I love this framework and I really appreciate you taking the time for doing this. Well, and I will tell you that if you're, if you're working for a company, you're an employee, knowing exactly what your job is and isn't, how you're going to be held accountable, that you're in a job for which you can perform at a high level. It's very transparent and your colleagues are all aligned. It's, that's where you want to be as an employee. You don't want to be in a situation where you don't know where the company's going. You're not being, know how you're being held accountable. Uh, you perceive others are being successful. They're, they're, they're not really performing. You've got all of those you know, inherent perculism issues and political issues and perception issues, et cetera. All of those are cancers to an organization. And what we try to do with the management system is eradicate all of those so that you, you bring people with a common purpose and a common set of ambitions and, and, and a culture. And when you get that, you know, it's a pretty special environment. All right. Thanks so much for taking the time for this. Great to see you guys. Thanks, Jordan. Bye.